This morning's reading comes from Matthew 5 in the English Standard Version. And if you need a Bible um, to borrow or to um, take, feel free to grab one off the back table. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We've been spending several weeks working through the Beatitudes, which was Jesus' big opening statement for his famous Sermon on the Mount. His explanation of what it is to live the good life, to truly be blessed, to truly flourish. These eight Beatitudes, and, and have you noticed these last two blessed statements, I'm, I'm going to treat as one because they're so similar. And the second one further explains the first. So these eight Beatitudes, these eight blessed statements are Jesus's way of describing the type of people who are truly blessed in this life, the type of people who are truly flourishing, if you want to put it that way. And you may, be re you, you may remember that we have seen over the last several weeks as we have looked through these Beatitudes that the Beatitudes are not promises that God makes to people for behaving well in this life, promised rewards for good behavior. It's wisdom literature. It's virtue literature. It brought the ancient Greek idea of virtue and the ancient Hebrew idea of wisdom together when Jesus is preaching from the mountainside. He's describing, he's observing who is truly flourishing in this world. It was a preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said, in the first three Beatitudes, we're going up one side of the mountain, as it were. We reach the summit in the fourth beatitude, and then we come down the mountain on the other side. So let me elaborate what that means. Those who, we're just going to review all the beatitudes, those who are spiritually poor, who know that they're spiritually sick and can't offer God anything of value in and of themselves, and those who mourn those who are broken over their spiritual depravity and those who are broken over the state of things in a broken world. 
and also those who are meek, whose experiences of mourning and spiritual poverty make them gentle, patient souls. These people, because of what they know about their own poverty and the state of their hearts and the state of the world and their gentleness, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what they want because of the state of their hearts, because of their grief. They want righteousness. And God tells them that they will get it. And because they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are therefore merciful, forgiving people. They are pure-hearted people, single-minded, consistent, in and out, honest people. And they are peacemakers. They are reconcilers because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And finally, Jesus is saying, because the blessed exhibit all of these characteristics, they are persecuted. One of my first run-ins as a young Christian with faith-generated persecution was during my college days. I was in a study group for a very difficult, very difficult class. It was, it was music history, and we had a final exam at the end of the semester. I was a music major. This wasn't like music appreciation. This was like intense musical historical stuff. And um, I was in a study group, and we were working hard for a couple of weeks, and we really got to know each other through this struggle in trying to study together for this exam. And we started to enjoy one another, about eight of us, until one night, a couple of nights before the final exam, uh, one of the guys in the group got the bright idea of stealing the, uh, stealing the answers to the exam from the professor's office. He had a friend in student government, and this friend could get him a master key to the building. And so his idea was, hey, let's break into the professor. Professor was a Christian, by the way. Let's, um, I didn't know the professor personally. Let's break into the professor's office, steal the answers to the exam. We've earned it. We've worked so hard. We've earned to do well on this exam. And so the whole group began to vacillate, began to struggle and, and debate whether or not we should do this. Um, until at one point, I, I decided to speak up and, and I said I wouldn't do it. And I actually tried to urge everybody in the group uh, to not get a hold of the answers. Um, I tried to explain to the group, look, why don't we all enjoy the results of our hard work? We've studied hard. We're, we're not gonna, maybe we won't get a perfect score, but we're all going to do well. We've studied very hard. Why don't you enjoy the results of your hard work instead of carrying the guilt of cheating on a major exam and carrying the fear of getting caught? In the end, it, it became this very conflicted discussion. And in the end, basically everybody to, to a person decided that they weren't going to steal the answers to the exam. And it was a mixed group. There were all sorts of people uh, in, in the group. And um, the one guy who thought of the idea was very angry with me. And it came up in the debate that I was a Christian. And he was frustrated with me. And um, he did not forget that, uh, that I messed up his plans to convince the group that they should do that together. Devotion to Jesus Christ, who is the King of Heaven, will put you, if you're a Christian, at risk 
in any authority structure in the world, any authority structure, whether it's political or social or relational, even religious authority structures, even among your own family. To be devoted to the king of heaven means you will run into conflict as a Christian with those who have authority in the kingdoms of this world at every level. It was the apostle Paul who said, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is a promise in the New Testament. If you, even though imperfectly, and myself very imperfectly, exhibit all of the Beatitudes in your life, you will absolutely experience conflict because of that. If you do not experience any conflict, perhaps you need to question the nature of your faith. Now notice something. In all of these Beatitudes, Jesus has been saying at the beginning of every statement, blessed are they, blessed are those, things like that. Notice that in the end here, he shifts to a new way of saying it, blessed are you. See, it's getting very intimate and very personal now. Blessed are you when people persecute and revile you and speak unjustly against you. You see, for Jesus, he takes it very personally, the way we act in the world because of him. And what I hope you're going to see today from the eighth and final beatitude is that Jesus will reward those who suffer in this life because of their devotion to him. And as we talk about this, I want to discuss the nature of persecution and our response to it. What is persecution and how does the Bible say to respond to it? if you are following Jesus. Persecution arises from, in a simple sense, a conflict between two value systems, as one theologian put it. Persecution arises when two value systems come into conflict with each other in your life or in a situation. Now, when Jesus is talking about these blessed ones who are persecuted, he specifies that they are persecuted for what? for righteousness' sake. Now, if you were with us when we looked at the fourth beatitude, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be filled, you might remember that we talked about what righteousness is in the Bible and that the, the preacher and theologian John Stott once taught that righteousness has three connotations in the Bible. There are three ways to understand righteousness in Christianity. Old Testament and New Testament. Righteousness has a legal sense in the Bible, it has a moral sense, and it has a social sense. Righteousness from a legal perspective means justification. Big theological word in the New Testament. Justification is God's declaration of a sinner's right status before him. It's a gift. But there is also a moral sense to righteousness in the Bible, and it is holiness. It's one's pursuit of living rightly before God. And finally, there's a social sense to righteousness in the scriptures. It's justice. It's the pursuit of holiness and how you relate to others. So in a sense, righteousness from a biblical perspective is all at the same time God's gift to you 
by his grace of a new status before him. It is God's ongoing work in you and it is God's ongoing work through you and through his people together. That is the Christian life we discovered a few weeks ago. Jesus is saying you are blessed when you are persecuted because in life you pursue this. Justification, being grateful and thankful for it. Holiness, pursuing it in your own life. Justice, pursuing it in how you relate to others and to the world. Doing right by everybody. If you are pursuing this, Jesus says, you will be persecuted, but you will be blessed for it. Now, just as an aside, I want to mention what this type of righteousness is not. What is not meant by righteousness. What Jesus does not mean by righteousness is a political or social cause. Though many political and social causes are virtuous and noble, and we should and may be involved in them as citizens of a country of this world. The best way I want to explain this is I have to be very careful um, because I'm not trying to discourage people to get involved in politics or or social action. That's not what I'm saying. But I want to use somebody else's words um, because I could get misinterpreted. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said this while talking about this beatitude. He said, I'm not saying that a man should not stand for his political principles. Uh, He very much upheld that. But he said, if you should suffer politically, go on and do so. But... The beatitude and the promise refer specifically to suffering for righteousness' sake. And he went on to say, may God give us grace and wisdom and understanding to discriminate. By discriminate, he meant discern. To discriminate between our political prejudices and our spiritual principles. People of all religions and nationalities suffer injustices because of their principles. But the blessed ones, according to Jesus, the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven are those who suffer, let's clarify, on my account, he says. Sometimes people suffer for righteousness while they are pursuing a political or social cause, and that's totally fine. We just have to make the distinction. The suffering and the persecution that Jesus is talking about is that which is for, in his own words, my account. Literally, what it means is those who suffer because of me in the original language. Jesus in you is the object of the persecution. That's what he's saying. Jesus in the most intimate moment in this statement, he, when he says, blessed are you, he's speaking in general seven times. And now in this eighth beatitude, he's saying, blessed are you when things happen to you because of me. In the most intimate statement of the Beatitudes yet, Jesus is now connecting all of them to himself. All of the Beatitudes are talking about Jesus. In a sense, what he's saying is, blessed are you when you are persecuted for acting like me. Because ultimately, all the Beatitudes, when you put them together, describe the life of Jesus of Nazareth. He's saying, blessed are you when you are persecuted for acting like me. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. So persecution for righteousness sake 
is when any value system under heaven is threatened by one's devotion to Jesus Christ on every level of our existence. And what's truly the proof that these blessed ones belong to an opposing value system that is out of place here in this world, the proof of it is how they respond to the persecution. The response that Jesus prescribes for persecution is what? It's joy. He says, rejoice and be glad. And now you're, the wheels are turning and you're starting to go, oh, is that what Paul was talking about when he was in chains in prison and telling his friends in Philippi, rejoice, rejoice while in prison, rejoice. Maybe this is all starting to come together. Okay, so Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted because of me. And then he goes on to say, rejoice and be glad. What? This is the whole upside down nature of the kingdom of God and these blessed statements. Why should I rejoice? Well, he gives us two reasons. He goes on to say, for your reward is great in heaven. Now, the Bible doesn't get into very specific information about what the reward of the kingdom of heaven is going to be specifically, as though you're looking through the Christmas catalog deciding what you want to ask for Christmas. But we get some pretty profound ideas that we will be known we will be known and we'll see Jesus face to face, that we will be transformed, not only spiritually and emotionally, but physically and physiologically, we will be restored. And we will experience a new humanity and a new creation that is beyond anything that we have yet seen or imagined. It's kind of like at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, when the Pevensey kids die and end up in heaven, it's the new Narnia, the true Narnia, they meet their old friend, the mouse Reepicheep, and he keeps telling them, further up and further in, all the joys of discovering and experiencing forever all that God has in store for those sons and daughters who will inherit his eternal kingdom. The Bible hints at it that way, and he's saying, rejoice because your reward is great. Look, I can endure nine months of school if I know that summer's coming, right? Rejoice, for great is your reward in June. <laughs> but he says something else. He says, your reward is great in heaven, but then he says, for they persecuted, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And when you begin to think from the beginning of redemptive history in Genesis, and you think of Abel, think of Abel, who was persecuted by his own brother. And you think of Noah, whom everybody laughed at, his big boat. When you think of Moses and the grief he got from the Egyptians and from his own countrymen and from his own brother and sister, and you think of Jeremiah, Jeremiah and Isaiah, who were faithful to do all that God called them to do and were persecuted tremendously. When God called Isaiah, read Isaiah chapter six, and, and Isaiah's like, yeah, I'm all for it, Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. What do you want me to do? And God says, I want you to speak to people who aren't gonna listen to you until there's nobody left in the land who will listen to you. That was faithfulness for Isaiah and Jeremiah to fail in the eyes of the people around them. 
but they were faithful to God. They suffered tremendously, although they were faithful to what God called them to do. So your suffering as a Christian, not your success, your suffering is proof that you're among the faithful. That's what Jesus is saying. You're suffering? Good job. You're one of us. Think about it. The apostles, after they heard stuff like this for three years from Jesus of Nazareth, they went out to preach about him, and they got beat up, and the same things happened to them. And in Acts chapter 5, we hear that all the apostles, they kept getting thrown into prison by the Sanhedrin, like the religious police of their day, and then they kept getting out and going back in and coming out. And it says that they were, they were told, stop talking about Jesus, and they were beaten, and they were sent back out again. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 5, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And I can imagine those guys running out all beaten and bloodied, missing teeth, going, Jesus said this was going to happen. It's happening. This is for real. We're part of the faithful. Actually, it was Peter much later in his life as an older man when he wrote to many Christians a letter. And he said, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Sounds like he remembered this sermon. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. See, there it is. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was imprisoned for a social cause, who was executed for a social cause by the Nazis and yet was a man of profound Christian faith. See how sometimes your causes and persecution are are mixed in together, okay? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. Now this joy, this joy that Jesus prescribes in response to Christians' suffering, it means also that we have to actively reject some things. We have to reject bitterness in our hearts. We have to reject adopting a cynical attitude towards the world and towards our neighbors, and toward the people who hurt us and speak badly about us. Whatever they tweet, whatever they post, we have to reject a spirit of cynicism towards them. And we have to reject maybe the worst thing of all, self-pity. Feeling sorry for ourselves because we're getting picked on. Because we used to be in charge in our society, and now we lost the remote control. Poor Brian, poor Deep Run Church, poor evangelical community. These are the kinds of things that we have to reject. Peter wrote a great letter that has a lot to say about persecution. Read it this week, 1 Peter. And in that letter, he said, even if you should suffer for righteousness, we read part of this earlier today, I think. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, there you see it again, you will be blessed Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. See, this is back to pursuing, hungering, and thirsting for righteousness. Always being prepared, he said, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
This is a guy who was imprisoned and beaten up for his devotion to Jesus, reminding Christians that whatever we do in connection with others who are threatened or intimidated or repulsed by our devotion to Jesus, we should do it with gentleness and respect and a good conscience. You see, it's the joy of our union with Jesus Christ that encourages us to bless those who persecute us. The ability to forgive those who hurt you, it it doesn't come from stoicism. It comes from joy. Wherever you are, whenever you live in history, the Christian will experience persecution. The ancient Christians, like the ancient prophets, suffered severely under under, uh, secular Roman Greek culture until Christianity outlived it. And the emperor Constantine became a Christian and things started to change in the West. But throughout the centuries and probably most, some say, in the 20th century, more than any other, uh, Christians have been and continue to be persecuted. And even among us, though for now it looks less intense and less dramatic than in other places in the world, it's still happening. Whether, Whether a Christian endures violent or oppressive executions or imprisonments in hostile regimes, or whether a Christian bears with patience the silent, bitter reproach and alienation of friends and coworkers and relatives. Their devotion to Jesus Christ will be a source of persistent tension. So, if you are a Christian, Bear the conflict of being a Christian with joy and with patience, respectfully. Respond respectfully to those who hate Jesus in you. Now, be very careful not to suffer for the wrong reasons. Peter went on to say in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Meddler means busybody. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. Sometimes we suffer because... We've been unwise. We've been undisciplined. We've been rash. We've been proud. We've been stubborn. We've been obnoxious. We've been lazy. We've been selfish. Just the exact opposite of all the Beatitudes. Sometimes we suffer because we're sinners, reaping, reaping a harvest for our unrighteousness. Not suffering because we are Christians, but suffering because we're reaping what we've sown. Not being persecuted for righteousness sake, but being persecuted for our own sake. Not seeking Jesus and his reward, but seeking our own way, seeking the world's reward. Success as the world defines it. Sometimes we're just suffering because of ourselves, not because of Jesus. And it's important to make that distinction 
And if I begin to look around myself in any given context and realize, forgive me, that everybody's pissed off, I'm the one with the problem. Be careful to not suffer for the wrong reasons. Some of the most heinous persecutions are committed by very religious people and the church itself throughout history. If you are not a Christian and you are here today, please forgive us for when we have not acted like Jesus. But I hope you won't go away. We're all forgiven sinners following this man who loves us despite our sin, who is willing to do something about it, who is willing to endure the worst kind of persecution to forgive us. And you need to stop looking at yourself, Christian, in your self-pity, and you need to begin to look at Jesus again. You know, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 said, let us run with endurance. He had been talking about all these people who were persecuted for their, their faith, and he summed it up by saying the world wasn't worthy of them. And then he said, let us, since we're surrounded by what a, like a, this great crowd of witnesses, since we're among them, he says, let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, not not looking to yourself, not looking to the persecution, not looking to the comments and the posts and the neglect, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's the word again, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's why he can promise his beloved ones a reward because he is on the throne of his kingdom. This is Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who, who suffered the worst persecution that any human being ever suffered, still having joy. It was joy. It was the joy of anticipating a new world, the joy of anticipating a new humanity, the joy of anticipating having you with him forever restored, forgiven, not afraid anymore. His beautiful son, his beautiful daughter, daughter. it was for joy of all of that that Christ was able to endure the cross. He wasn't just being an obedient little boy. He was that because he loved his heavenly father, but it was the joy of all that his death would accomplish that allowed Jesus to suffer the worst persecution ever. It's joy alone it's the joy alone of being known as God's son or daughter that Jesus' followers will patiently endure anything and anyone. It's, it's the joy of being counted as one of Jesus' people that enables us to endure mistreatment and even like he did, to forgive the ones mistreating us. Jesus will reward those who suffer in this life because of their devotion to him. Those who are blessed, those who are flourishing will endure anything, will endure anyone patiently, joyfully to be with Jesus. Like a bride, like a groom who will wait patiently with joy for their wedding day, not because of what they're dealing with at the moment, because they know what's coming. And Jesus says, blessed are you 
for great is your reward in heaven. Blessed are you, for they persecuted others who were devoted to me in the same way, and that's proof that you belong to me, that people see me in you and hate it. That stinks, and that should grieve you, but you should rejoice because it's proof that you belong to me. Jesus, who said to his disciples, who says to you, as we conclude these Beatitudes, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we even very, very timidly talk about persecution, knowing what evils our brothers and sisters in other places in the world are enduring for their devotion to you. Father, for us, it may be people unfriending us on social media. It may be people not showing up at Thanksgiving dinner. It may be people not calling us back. It may be worse. It, it may be we lose jobs or we don't get that promotion or we can't get that person to like us or to trust us. Whatever it is, Father, uh, we acknowledge that our persecution isn't as bitter as others. And yet, Father, Father, we feel we feel the angst, we feel the tension living in this world as your beloved ones. Father, give us the patience and the joy to endure persecution. Give us Jesus' love for those who hurt us, that we may forgive them in our hearts, that we, though we are beaten down, though we are overlooked, though we are despised, that we would know we are blessed. Father, may it be so. May we reflect Jesus our Lord to such an extent that others would see him in us and not only despise us, but Lord, we want some people to rejoice. We want some people to be attracted to our Lord because of our behavior in his name. Father, even as people are looking at us and laughing at us and ignoring us, we ask, Father, that people would look at us and see Jesus and be drawn to him. That's why we're here, Lord. We want people to be drawn to Jesus. We want our relatives to be drawn to him. We want our coworkers and our neighbors and our classmates and our friends to be drawn to Jesus. Father, forgive us for when we don't act like him. We confess we deserve it. That's when we deserve it for the wrong reasons. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Purify us. Give us undivided, pure hearts that we would live like Jesus. And whatever comes, comes. But Lord, give us joy and give us patience as we endure it. We praise you for Jesus who endured the worst for you, who endured the worst for us. And may we be like him. Amen.